Do you have wine and an autumnal candle? No, I have tea and Sour Patch Kids. There you go. Whatever autumn is to you is how you should celebrate it. I can light a candle, but it's too far away. Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Practical Magic, which came out in the 90s, late 1998. 90s. Why do you know? Which came out in night. I feel like this is the thing you always start to say it. Like you did the research and you never did the research. All right, you do it. It came, it came out in 1998 on October 16th, 1998. It came out on Carrie's. It's Carrie's birthday week, everybody. It came out on your 12th birthday. Mm-hmm. It uh, is directed by Griffin Dunn and written by Robin Swicord, Akiva Goldsmith, and Adam Brooks. Brooks, Carrie, where else have we seen Adam Brooks on this here podcast? I don't He's remember. the writer director of Definitely Maybe, so kind of canon. Mm. Um, We've seen Akiva Goldsmith before too, haven't we? N- not that and Robin time. Swigart. Sure, Robin Swigart, I think was a Swigard. writer. What is it? Swigard. S W I C O R D. Maybe I'm I'm getting her confused with somebody else. Um. All right, carry on with your facts while I. It stars Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Diane Weist, uh, Abby Bartlett. Nope, Stalker Channing. Stalker Channing. Um, Mark Feuerstein, Aiden Quinn, Margot Martindale. I wrote, I have almost Gordon no Vishnick. Gordon, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. The guy from ER. I have almost no notes, but I started a new page of notes to write this. As per usual, Margot Martindale, 10 out of 10. Also, I learned that Aiden Quinn is from both Chicago and Ireland, so he's probably related to people we know. Wow. Akiva Goldsmith has had some some real winners and some... some Are you just mixing him up with Akiva from the Lonely Island? No. No. He's written... He's, like, prolific. The Client... Batman Forever, A Time to Kill, Batman and Robin, Lost in Space, Practical Magic, A Beautiful Mind, I, Robot, Cinderella Man, The Da Vinci Code, I Am Legend, Angels and Demons, Fringe, Winter's Tale, The Divergent Series, The Fifth Wave, Ring, Transformers, The Dark Tower, Star Trek, Star Trek, Titans, Star Trek, Star Trek. Okay, he was brought in to deal with the supernatural and action-y part of this movie. And Adam Brooks, and my guess is Robin Swicord are there to deal with the rom-com element this is a movie about two sisters who are witches uh whose family curse we're gonna do this part very quickly because i have so deep oh this has a 22 percent on rotten tomatoes uh which is unbelievably swigward also prolific name them 1994 Little Women, Matilda, Practical Magic, Memoirs of a Geisha, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which is like one of my favorites. Benjamin Button is one of your favorites? Mm-hmm. I heard nothing you said after 94 Little Women because essentially I now, this woman is responsible for the person I am as an adult with the mix of Practical Magic and 94 Little Women. Yeah. And Matilda. Holy shit. And Matilda. I See, I miss Matilda because I was gasping at 94 Little Women. Yeah. All right, so this was written by three pretty, like, prolific writers. 
Um, and it holds a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which uh, we need to talk about. Yes, I think a lot of times when we watch a movie that has a bad Rotten Tomato score that we still love, you and I will cop to, it may not be a great movie, but we still, for whatever reason, love it. That is not the case here. This is a great movie. Mm-hmm. And the Rotten Tomato score is a deep misunderstanding of what this movie was doing and also sexism. I also think it's a deep misunderstanding of, I think part of the reason this movie got panned at the time is there's a deep misunderstanding of trauma and particularly like uniquely feminine trauma and the ways that women play out their trauma trauma and handle their trauma. Yes. This is a very feminine movie. This yes. is the men are tertiary at best. There is a love story and I do and there is humor so I do think we can fudge and call it a rom-com. But the story is about these two sisters, Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock. Also side note, fucking wild. We didn't realize what a good actor Nicole Kidman was for another goddamn decade cuz Also it's so fun to see her in this is like Like, I feel like a lot lately she plays, like, the downtrodden, like, intense, sad, like, wife or, you know, I I just see, like, we see her sad a lot. And, like, there's darkness here, but there's also, like, we get to see sort of, like, a fun and wild Nicole Kidman, which is, was kind of, like, a nice reminder. So, Nicole Kidman plays one of the sisters, sort of the more free-spirited sister, And Sandra Bullock plays the one who stays home. Their mother dies of a broken heart after their father dies. They are a line of witches who are cursed because um, uh, they have a line of, they are living out a curse where all all the men they love in this line of women die. So Mm -hmm. Sandra Bullock vows to uh, never fall in love. So she'll never deal with heartbreak. Um, she creates, she casts a spell to create a man she believes does not exist so that she can never fall in love and feel heartbreak. Nicole Kidman takes the opposite, um, thing where she just, um, loves the idea of love and loves the idea of falling in love and chases after men. Um, and that gets her into trouble. Sandra, their aunts played by Diane Weist and Stockard Channing, uh, cast a love spell so that Sandra Bullock will fall in love. She does the spell wears off, but she's in love with Mark Feuerstein for real. And as per the curse, he dies in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Yep. He has no lines. Excellent. No line acting by at the time, unknown actor, Mark Feuerstein. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she moves back in with her aunts. Well, Jillian played by Nicole Kidman is off um, seeing the world and falling in love with Gordon Vishnick. Vishnick. Yeah. Who will go on, who is abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll go, um, she calls Sandra Bullock to help rescue her from this abusive relationship. He kidnaps them both. They kill him by accidentally poisoning him, try and bring him back to life, kill him again, bury him. And then he haunts them. Yes. It is. And then, so it is about them sort of ridding the spirit. He possesses Nicole Kidman at some point. So Nicole Kidman is playing like multiple parts. Great. Um, Aiden Quinn shows up as the detective looking for him. And obviously he and Sandra Bullock fell in love and spoiler alert, he is the man. She cast a spell that would never exist. Right. He is her true love. That is the very quick breakdown of this movie. Cause now we got to talk about 
all the ways in which it holds up. Because to be quite honest, I do not have any ways it doesn't. I think it is. Let's start with this. Let's talk about this movie's importance to you and I, because I think this is a big one for us. What, Carrie, why is this movie important to you? Um, well, like you said, it came out when I was 12. So I've grown up watching this movie. Um, and I share it, a love of it with some of the most important people in my life, including you, including our mom, including my best friends. Um, and it, it, I mean, it has a romance, but like you said, the men are largely plot devices. I mean, the men in this movie play the role that women play in more masculine movies. They are plot devices. They are there to propel forward the story of these women. And at the heart of it, like I said, this is a story about trauma and survival um, and sisterhood um both with like truly your sister but also just like the women in your circle um all the women in town come to cast the spell that will ultimately release gordon vishnik from nicole kibbins but like women save her right but like also like they have this community with their aunts they were raised by their aunts sandra bullock has these two kind of witchy wannabe women who work for her um they have two daughters, one played by a very young Evan Rachel Wood. Yes. Yeah. Like the, this movie is very feminine. The energy in, of it is feminine. It is, um, it, I mean, there's also like the supernatural element, which I love. Um, you know, I think part of the reason that this movie got largely panned when it came out is that people couldn't couldn't quite pin it down genre wise because it it is dark and dramatic at times particularly around the domestic violence it's supernaturally um it also then is doing a romantic piece it also is showing some comedy and some joy and it and that you know to some extent it it I think people felt like it was all over the place um but that's kind of what I love about it is that um and you sent an article I just pulled up the quote I'm going to read, but yes. Yeah, we'll link to it. um, That kind of talks about this, a lot of what we're talking about um, and does a really wonderful job. Who's the writer of that article? It was a, it's a BuzzFeed article written by Alana Bennett, who's also a TV writer and also uh, a a fave Twitter voice of mine. It's called Practical Magic is 20 years old and just as relevant as ever. And in it, she talks a lot about what we're talking about um, and sort of the reasons, one of the, one of the things this movie got largely criticized for when it came out was being tonally dissonant. Um, And she makes the point, and I think both of us are feeling that it is not tonally dissonant. Men didn't understand the tone. So I went through her article and highlighted a bunch of things that are written better than I could. And one of them is both sides of this movie are treated as important as worthy because they are. Practical magic is not interested in showing us the pain without also showing us that complicated as the journey may be, there is still life to be felt and lived on the other side of that hurt. There is still love to be felt. And I don't know. I think I, I have, there are a lot of reasons this movie is very important to me. One of the main ones being, like you said, 
this is a movie that's important to you and I and our mother and our closest friends. Another one is that I have, my life has been touched by domestic violence. Um, I watched this movie with my girlfriends the morning after our lives had been touched by domestic violence. And I think I've watched a lot of movies that talk about domestic violence and talk about being in those situations. And very rarely have I seen them represented accurately to the, to the way it feels, you know, this is not, I am not a witch. This is not my story, but like the funny things that happen, the joy you feel, Mm -hmm. the, the laughter you have, the, the memories and the dancing and the things you do to survive that trauma are very well represented in this movie. And I think critics missed that. They missed Mm -hmm. what the writers and directors were doing was, was showing you what it's like to live as a person, either as a direct victim of of domestic violence, or as Sandra Bullock's character is sort of a, a secondary, a person who loves someone who is being harmed. Um, And I think we're so, so used to stories about like women's pain and women being abused or being harmed in some sort of way and always or often at the hands of men that critics had a hard time like watching this and seeing the joy alongside it and and believing that or understanding it and I think part of this part of the reason this movie has sort of lived on and created a whole second life and has sort of like a cult following mostly among women is that is that that's so true to life and so real. Yeah. And I think it extends beyond, I mean, like this story is about domestic violence, but it's also about loss and grief. You know, like Sandra Bullock is grieving the loss of her husband. They both are like, never have really like fully processed or or grieved the loss of their parents. Um, Also this idea that like, you can never really like truly love a man because you'll lose him. Like, and I think that, you know, any time or a lot of the times when movies are about grief and loss and trauma, we've talked about this in the context of some of the like rom-coms with black people that we've watched is that, you know, movies about like black pain are so focused on the pain that we rarely get these depictions of, of joy and this movie was showing that like in life there are both and in even in like your deepest grief and your deepest loss there is joy i mean there's and that's how you survive it reminds um, me sorry and i think that that's what people respond to i think that's the piece that like people are still responding to you know over 20 years later um and among other things. I mean, there are lots of things that I, I like just in terms of like the filmmaking of this I was gonna movie. Say, it's just like a beautiful movie. Like yeah. the idea that it was 22% when there are some shots, like, first of all, they filmed it. I learned this on Wembley Island in Seattle or in Washington state. Like the location is beautiful. There are some shots that are beautiful. The house they live, like the production design and the set design is stunning. The it's like, they're, there's just so like just filmmaking base wise. It's a really aesthetically pleasing, beautiful movie. Yeah. It's an, and Alana Bennett talks about this in her article too, but like, it feels like a movie you want to like 
live in. Like it just, it, it feels like a well lived in movie. It feel, you know, like it has the- that Nora Ephron, like production design where it feels, yes. it feels real. Like it feels like really real. And I, I said, like, I want to live in like a big Victorian farmhouse on like, like the Eastern shore because with like a big garden, um, yeah. and like, bury just, a like, man who's wronged us. <laughs> um, like there's just something really like lush about this movie in terms of all of the things that you see and feel and um yeah they have like the feeling is evoked so well like you're like you said that they men are treated in this movie the way women are in movies about men but like like i said like mark foyerstein has absolutely no lines he's there to be cute with a beard which he does very well mm-hmm and then he dies and then she has to deal with his grief and then fall in love again. And one of the things I love about this movie is that in her sort of dealing with her grief and falling about falling in love again, there's never any cheapening of her first marriage. Like it's made very clear that like, yes, her aunts cast a love spell on her, but her love for him went beyond that. It was not, mm-hmm. he was a good man. He was a good husband. He was a good father. He was a person who he, who she loved. He, there are not named flaws of him. There's not like some reveal that he, was shitty in any way. Like she is dealing with the loss of her husband and then also falling in love with someone else. And I feel like so often when you have that story, it's like a woman finding out that her like dead husband, like secretly cheated on her. Right. So that she can then be free to fall in love again. And this doesn't have that. It's like, no, she's free to fall in love again because he's gone. And that's all, that's the only reason she needs. And she deserves love and happiness, even though her husband died. The other scene that I love, like in terms of her grief is, um, and that like, I particularly like now as like a wife and a mother, like I, I, I really related to was she goes, she becomes depressed, like after his death and she like, isn't really caring for her children. Um, and you know, they're of an age where like they can get themselves up for school and get dressed and, and they're living with and the aunts, their aunts and pres- yeah. presumably like they're picking up some piece of that. Um, and her, Nicole Kidman, like her sister comes and says like, if you don't get up and take care of those little girls, like you're never going to forgive yourself. And that's, and, and the implication is like, that's what their mother did you know, is their mother, like, let the grief and the depression kind of overtake her. And then died um, of a broken heart. She died right. of it. Um, and I think the, I've always like understood that to be that she, that she died by suicide. I literally, I have always taken it because this is a fantastical movie. I have always taken it that she literally died of a broken heart. But as I was saying that, whether, whether metaphorical or intentional, it's a, it's at least a metaphor for suicide. Right. So I've watched this movie 8,000 times over the last 25 years. Just guys, it has layers. But, but so they're juxtaposing like the, you know, that when you love someone and you are a parent, the options are sort of like you let the grief overtake you or, or you figure out how to put one's foot in front of the other and, and care for the children that are left. And there's something like really, again, really real and really powerful. And yes, there's like this fantastical supernatural background, but the, the heart of this movie and the relationships in this movie and the emotional 
context of this movie all feels incredibly real. Like I, I felt in that moment, like, oh my God, when you lose your partner and you have children to care for, like, how do you make that happen? You know, cut to the sleepless in Seattle monologue of you get out of bed, <laughs> but, but right. like not, I don't think since that movie, have we looked at a movie that's so maybe best man holiday. Although I think it deals with like the pre-grief of the someone before. about to die. Right. Whereas these movies are dealing with the aftermath, but like, and like talk about like best, like this movie, not in any way similar to best man holiday, except I think in how they both deal with like grief and joy simultaneously happening and a really fun and interesting way. But anyway, yeah, I mean, like, I think this movie is a really honest depiction of grief and that, like, Nicole Kidman shows up and isn't, sort and isn't, it's a very sisterly best friend thing to come and not let, and not let her wallow. It's like my uh, college roommate and one of my closest friends, Aaron, would also once said to me, like, you get 40 minutes, you get 40 minutes. I forget what I was feeling shitty about, but it was like the loss of a job. And she was like, you get 40 minutes to go walk and cry and be sad. And then you pick yourself up and you have to like, and it's a thing that like, I think less intense friendships, like I think non-sister relationships, it's sort of like, oh, but they're feeling bad. Like, let's take care of them. And true love sometimes is being like, you need to get out of bed and mm-hmm. do things and you can be sad. And if you need a day, you can take a day, but also you have to, you get 40 minutes to yeah. cry and then you got to get back at it. I think about that all the time. Whenever I'm bummed, I'm like, you get 40 minutes. Yeah. I also love, I mean, again, like I said this at the beginning, but there, this movie is really in a lot of ways, like exploring trauma and like all different kinds of like sources of trauma and also like the different ways that people respond so like you know from their ancestor who like who cast the curse you know she that was as the result of her pain and her trauma their mother died or you know who knows how really but um she the grief sort of overtook her Um, and then in these two sisters, we see that one has kind of like shut herself off and really seeks out normalcy and sort of like the white picket fence, whereas the other sees her powers. What? She doesn't use her powers. Sandra Bullock is the more gifted witch who refuses to use her powers. Nicole Kidman is the less gifted witch who like would love to be that powerful and use them. Whereas Nicole Kidman, Jillian's response is the she seeks out the adrenaline rush she seeks out whether it's love or drugs or alcohol she is seeking out sort of the opposite of normalcy in order to deal with her and they're both trauma responses that but to the same trauma but they're responding in very different ways which again is like so interesting and was sort of like completely missed you know at the time that this movie came out because I don't think we had the ability to talk about trauma at all, let alone female, like female specific trauma. Right. And the like, I, like it's interesting. So many movies are unintentionally about men, like all like, like mob movies, action movies, these movies where men are being, it's like anger is a very masculine mm-hmm. or is a trauma response that we so often equate to men. 
but like men are allowed to be angry. And so in their movies where they're like, my wife has died, I must avenge it. It's like, that's allowed in a way that like, oh, my mother died or I was abused. So now I need to have a lot of sex or now I need to do a lot of drugs or now I need to, you know, I just, I just think like, again, this movie is so feminine and that like, neither of them really turn to anger, not, but, but their emotional responses is so steeped in womanhood Mm -hmm. and then rescued by womanhood. Mm -hmm. It's like the women in their town coming together who have always shat on them for being witches. Right but then coming together to save Jillian from that ER doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so the other thing about this movie is like, I mean, we've talked about sort of like the production value and the writing, but also like the performances, like there's not a weak performance really. Um, but if you think about 1998, we were not talking about Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman as two of our greatest actresses the way we do now. No, but there's so Nicole Kidman was a woman and, in an abusive marriage. <laughs> they're so, and like, I mean, they're both great. But then all of the people around them, you know, like down to the kids, the kids are really good. I mean, um, uh, Bella Swan. Swan? Is that her name? Thor- Thor- no, Bella it's not Swan Bella Swan. Is- <laughs> Bella Swan is the character is um, Keira Knightley's character in Pirates of the Caribbean. Whichever the Surf Girls actress that had the very slut shamey Taylor Swift song written about her because well we do love Taylor Swift on this podcast we can also understand that she has had um, you know growing up in the public eye she's had some feelings and the song Better Than Revenge is quite slut shamey towards allegedly this actress and her affair with Joe Jonas. That's a long way to say that I don't know that woman's name. It's Bella something and she plays a young Sandra Bullock. <laughs> yes, but they're great. I mean, all the kids are great. Stalker Channing and Diane Weist are literal Channing and Diane Weist. perfection in this movie. They are wonderful as the ants. And they're not playing um, the same auntie part. They're playing they're, they're playing like all of these women. One of them is either the homebody and the other is adventurous. And like, even in the ants, you see, it's just so I'm obsessed with Diane Weist. I'm um, obsessed with Stalker Channing. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, this movie is full of like, honestly, the weak acting here is Aiden Quinn. And I don't care because his face is so fucking dreamy. Okay. But also again, he's he's doing a great job with what he's given he's not given a whole lot to do because he's not important this is a man with an irish and chicago accent who is putting on an arizona act like you know that's hard what what is aiden quinn's real accent is what i want to know because upon research he is from chicago partially raised in like i don't know like county Derry or something no i don't even that that's the wrong county some irish county what is his accent? I don't know. Is he using his real voice? And the only like other like big thing I know him from is, I mean, I know he's Aiden Quinn and he's been in a ton of shit, but like the other thing I associate him with is Legends of the Fall, but I don't know if that's his real voice. Cause he's got, isn't he a brother and then he's gotta be an American in that. 
He in my head yeah, is their so father Irish, is but maybe Irish. it's because his name is Aiden Quinn. Yeah. It's like they're supposed to be like an Irish family that is living in America, obviously. But true story, last time I watched Legends of the Fall was that night with you when we were 14 and we stayed up too late. We stayed up to like midnight because it was on TBS. Oh, I own it. We should watch it. It's, I just remember it was classic. on and you were like, we have to watch this. This is so that you're going to have a sexual awakening. And then Brad Pitt flipped the water out of his hat. And I did yeah. indeed have a sexual awakening. Yeah. And if that doesn't do you for you, then Aiden Quinn is there as like the governor of their town. Like, it's great. Probably that, that feels really serious. Doesn't someone die? That can't be eight. I mean, I guess like eight people die in this movie. <laughs> oh, Legends of the Fall, not a rom-com. Not even close. We can't even fake it. Um, you know who's a very good actor? Gordon Vizsnick, that ER yeah. doctor. Where is he? I mean, obviously living off ER money, like good for yeah. him. Yeah, he's terrifying. But terrifying. Good. Well, and also like, because we're children of the 90s, like my, I've seen him in this movie, but also like he's so clearly that just like nice doctor to me. Like, yeah. I don't remember anything about his character on ER except that he was like nice and Croatian. Like, right. Um. So this feels very like different. It feels like ER was sort of like, oh, here's a show where you can play like a nice guy and make a lot of money for several years. Yeah. Like good for you. And he was like, great. The midnight, we should talk about midnight margaritas because I think that is, I think in that Alana Benton article, she points that out that like that maybe was one of the scenes that felt tonally dissonant to critics, except like that scene scared me as a child because the women are being taken over by the spirit and get really angry and start like spewing like they say mean things to each other because the tequila that he liked has shown up and they've all they're getting drunk on it and then nicole kidman smashes the tequila and like it doesn't obviously scare me anymore it's not a scary scene but something about that anger really scared me as a child and so whenever i watch that scene like that's the feeling i get it's just like oh everyone's gonna start being mean to each other But it's also like, so there's like two things happening in that scene because it's again, also showing the like love and support that this family has for each other. And like, even in the moments when they are pinned down and like something serious is going on or like, they don't always see eye to eye, like Sandra Bullock and the ants are not always sort of like aligned. Child raising. In their child rearing, right. Um, but they're still there for each other. And, and it's also like prior to then realizing that what they're drinking, um, there, there's this joy, you know, again, it's like this seeking out the, the moments of joy in what is otherwise like a dark period in their lives. Yeah. It's actually like, like think about like the worst I can think of like the worst weekend or the worst like group of days of my life like sections of like a few days where we're all together dealing with trauma and in those times there was laughter there was joy I mean like obviously there is also extreme pain but also funny things happened Mm -hmm. and we laughed and we joked and we played and we and like that is how that's how you survive. That's how you deal with things. And that right. is how you move through the world. And especially with like, and I guess like those two instances are times when I was like with like familial groups, but like that is how 
you survive pain. And this movie is depicting that really, really well. And so for critics to be like, well, it doesn't make sense. It's like, mm, I'm sorry, you've only had a joyful life, but guess right. what? <laughs> right. It's almost like, like we expect our movies to like focus on one emotion at a time, kind of, mm-hmm. or we like expect them to be like, like genre being able to like, I mean, this movie does play and bend genres in a lot of ways. And I think that that's unexpected. And I think that it, it's it's not done a lot. And particularly in the 90s, it wasn't happening very much. I mean, maybe only also in original Little Women. Yeah. And also, like, I think if you think about, like, at in 1998, like, where were Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman in their careers? I don't know that they were really playing with genres. Like, I think they were very kind of, like, specific genre-y actresses. Um, they hadn't been given a lot of opportunity yet to sort of, like, move beyond whatever, like, the specific thing we know them for at the time what was. I didn't even know Nicole Kidman. Like, honest to God, I think because of my age, like, Nicole Kidman became such more of a fixture in my like life or knowledge post divorce, like in the like tabloidness of the divorce that I'm not even sure I know what Nicole Kidman was sort of like known for in the nineties. Like being a, a pretty like, woman just being beautiful in, in like dramatic stuff. Yeah. Cause Sandra Bullock was like rom-com girl next door. She was on sort of like a Julia Roberts path. They both at this time we're doing a lot of like, like thrillery, like hot girl in the thrill, hot woman in the thriller role, the sort of like sidekick to like the, the John Grisham lawyer or like whatever. Um, I'm thinking Ashley Judd in that movie with Morgan Freeman or uh, JLo in that movie with George Clooney, that kind of thing. Or Nicole Kidman in a movie with George Clooney like the year before this. Or Sandra Bullock in The Net. Or Sandra Bullock in A Time to Kill. Like, you know, they were doing a lot of that. And I think that this... And then Sandra Bullock also had some, like, rom... Kind of some rom-com stuff. But I feel like she was more so in the 90s, like, the the thriller girl. Yeah, other than While You Were Sleeping, both of our either one top one or top two movie of all time. Rom-com of all time, movie of all time, movie of all time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we are rapidly approaching. Allison goes on a Twitter rant about how well you were sleeping is underrated season. Um, but other than that, you're right. Like the '90s were about like her as like an actiony star, and then I feel like the early aughts were Miss Congeniality, the proposal. Like, yeah. So like they both are very much like hot sidekick in thriller mode at this point, and then this, I think, is a departure for both of them in that it asks it there's a lot more like emotional stake here. There's um, they're not playing off a man. They're not there to like serve whatever the purpose of the man is. Um, And I could imagine that a lot of moviegoers and critics like may have struggled with that at the time. And now that we've had like more comprehensive careers from both of them and seen that they both are capable of lots of different things. Um, Nicole Kidman is doing so much in this movie, though. Like, why wasn't this the movie when people were like, oh, Nicole Kidman is a very good actress? <laughs> like, 
there's that scene where she's like fully possessed by him. And, and then she has to go back and forth between like Jillian struggling to survive and like, and him taking over her body. That's so nuanced and so intense. Yeah. I have nothing else to say about this movie. I loved this movie. I watched it today. I had kind of like a no bones day and I. (laughs) (laughs) That won't make sense to anyone in a day and a half. I love it. Okay, guys. So no bones. (laughs) Let me tell you. If you're not living on TikTok as we are at the end of the world. There's a pug on TikTok. He's 13 years old. He's kind of chubby. And in the morning, his owner there is tries not a, show me a skinny pug. I don't want to see it. It's not his for me. owner tries to wake him up. And if he stands up and is ready to go for walkies, then it's a bones day, meaning like it's going to be a good day. We're going to like go, go out there and like embrace the world. And if his owner tries to get him up to go for walkies and he just flops back over, it's a no bones day. He has no bones. And it's just going to be a day where like you got to get through it, man. Yeah, I don't have a lot of notes because I just wanted to like curl up and like live in this movie. I actually thought I was like, I've never watched this movie from a critical see. I've only watched this as someone who loves it. I'm going to, so like now I'm going to like take note. I'm really going to dig in and like get critical of it. And then like halfway in, I was like, oh, it's perfect. I have nothing. I have no comments. (laughs) I literally got halfway in and I was like, I haven't really written anything. I wrote since JK Rowling is a turf, I'm going to tell people my toad tattoo is for this. Okay. Although the toads are evil in this. Never mind. I'll stick to Neville. Someone, I'm having a recovered memory from last weekend when I was absolutely very drunk at Eric and George's wedding. Watch your best friends get married and get drunk while doing it. It's a great experience. But someone was like, your toad has no eyes. And I was like, none of us do. Let's dance. (laughs) (laughs) I think he asked, he was like, why doesn't your toad have eyes? And I was like, why is anything, anything? Everyone... (laughs) The band is playing. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't have an answer. I just thought it was better than like having a detailed toad. That's great. It's fine. It's the best wedding um, band of my life. At one point he was just there singing uh, like salt and pepper at me. Like just an older Filipino man singing Filipino or singing salt and pepper at you. I was like, this is where I go when I die. If I'm good, this is heaven. <laughs> this is the good place. This is the good place. <laughs> um yeah i mean watch practical magic it's spooky season like i will watch it it's a perfect fall movie i will watch it several more times before the season i don't even like halloween carrie but it's like folly because like because they're like in a big house and they like wear sweaters and i love fall don't like halloween cozy i will watch this i'll watch Um, i will watch nightmare before christmas those are my halloween movies I need to watch Hocus Pocus and Nightmare Before Christmas this season. What are we watching next? I think it's How to Be Single, but I don't really remember. Oh, do we have to Rebel Wilson discourse? Yes. Um, yeah, next week we're watching How to Be Single. It's going to be, it's, I think I watched it on a plane. I, I think I like it in theaters. Um, I think that it'll have moments, but I think overall I'll still like it and it'll hold up. It's fairly recent, so I don't feel like it it can be like terribly. It's our second Allison Brie. I feel like we like Allison Brie on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would lay oh, it down has... my life for Dakota Johnson. 
It has Jason Manzukas. Like the great oh, love God. of our lives. We're it's gonna be great. Where can we people say, find us? Next week we're doing how to be single. You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Once again, at the time you're listening to this, there's a very good chance that I'm on strike. So if you could please tell your friends and tell anyone you know who gives podcast sponsors, I we do need the money. Um so please tell your friends about the show. <laughs> yeah. And we'll also, um, if IASI does in fact go on strike, um, we will link to a strike fund in the show notes. Please support um, Allison and people like we, her. This is the first time we're ever going to link to something be, that will directly affect um, me. <laughs> right. They will not be earning money as they fight for... Um, decent working conditions and in most Um, states we cannot take unemployment if we're on strike yes exactly Um, including so um anyway we'll link to a strike fund um so that you can support um those on strike there there's actually like lots of strikes going on right now there's a major labor shift and labor movement happening in the country right now um so if IATSE is not your jam, support the John Deere factory workers, um, support, uh, who else just went on strike? Um, Amazon. There's someone else that like, just something's happening guys. There's something in the wind. And I think it's that yeah. people realize that it's no longer okay to work for poverty wages. Uh, I will say it's a very, it's a very scary thing to be a part of. It's a very, it's also a very cool thing to be a part of. Um, because the solidarity amongst IATSE members and also just like amongst the labor movement nationwide right now is I'm there's, there's something in the air guys. We're, we're moving yeah. towards something better. Um, yeah. so it's all, it's, a uh, it's weird to ask you to follow the links in our bio to things that will again, directly help me, but that's it's a much larger movement um yes and yeah we got this ayatsi maybe maybe we won't maybe it'll all be fine but maybe it will fingers crossed fingers crossed crossed. they come to a deal a good deal a deal that supports the supports the employees and if it doesn't Uh, fingers crossed that i'm uh that my strike uh studio is one that i want because i have studios i have feelings about there you go uh all right join us in two weeks for how to be single rate rate review and subscribe bye bye